Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Today, we're going to be building on our last conversation. Last week, we talked about the various types of ways that people actually play Airsoft, some unique rules or game types that we've played, and how there isn't one right way to enjoy the sport. We touched on briefly how different people enjoy different aspects of play, and one of the ways that manifests itself is through different styles of play, let's call it. So this week, we want to take a closer look at some of the typical, perhaps stereotypical, kinds of airsofters you might run into. And spoiler alert, both Pat and I have been many of these in our times playing airsoft. We're not making fun of anybody here, except perhaps ourselves and maybe a little at each other. Definitely. So let's get to it. The first one that really struck us when we were thinking about writing this episode was the general. Absolutely. <laughs> right. This is the guy who shows up at the field. He is the next Omar Bradley, the modern era Napoleon. He is drawing up battle lines. He's thinking about all the formations he's going to put his six players into. He's coming up with pincer movements and all kinds of strategies and trying to execute overly complex plans. Or he's um, uh, decided he's the drill sergeant. That's right. Exactly. And this was definitely me for a long time. I think for a long period of time, I was really trying to overthink and over-strategize on a lot of our games. And even, especially in times when it wasn't necessarily appropriate. I mean, it's a weekend skirmish. This game is lasting 20 to 30 minutes. We really don't need to have an overly complex plan and we don't need to have, you know, all right, this person is going to be assigned to this sector and this person is going to be assigned to this sector. But in my mind, a lot of the fun came from, I want to be that general. I want to be the person who's in charge of all these troops and coming up with a strategy. And at the end, so we can all celebrate the big win together. But you got to be aware that I guess be self-reflective enough to go, yeah, my grand strategic plan involves six dudes. Uh, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't spend 20 minutes talking through the plan. <laughs> and the other aspect of it is that barking orders and that yelling and stuff like that. That was also me, right? There was lots and lots of games and there's some footage that, you know, as I look back on, I'm shouting at people and I'm cursing and swearing and just trying to motivate people to do things that in my mind, I'm like, you should be able to do this. Why aren't you doing it? But in their reality, they're actually being shot at. So they can't do the thing that I want them to do. And shouting at them isn't necessarily achieving the result that I'm looking for, right? And like, hey, I mean, it's a game of Airsoft. It's not necessarily life or death. I've been hit with BBs a ridiculous amount, but not everyone is silly enough to just be willing to walk out into the line of fire to accomplish an objective in Airsoft when they could be more cautious and still probably win. You know, and the other thing about the general is you're coming up with these grand strategies and you're, you're coming up with a really detailed battle plan. And to you, it all makes sense. But to other players who are looking at you from the point of view of this is a weekend skirmish, this is a 30 minute game. I don't understand why this guy is being so like ridiculous. It's way over the top. It's way too much. They're way too intense. And, you know, I've definitely gotten that reaction before. So one thing that's important to keep in mind there, if you're going to try to be sort of this, the general or the sergeant kind of player, is there's a distinction between yelling at people and engaging in leadership with a group of people you're playing with, right? And I mean, I'm the sort of person I've known Phil forever. If he curses me out because I'm not in cover, 
and I have a good reason, I'll tell him off. And if he curses me out because I'm not in cover and have a bad reason, I'll get in cover. Like, right, yeah. But if you haven't been friends with the people you're yelling at for long enough that they know you're just being either silly or having fun or whatever, playing a role, doing a bit, essentially, then it's going to run into problems for you in terms of interacting with those people after the game. For sure. If you think about what your role model is for a general or like a drill sergeant, it's TV and movies. Most of us haven't gone through military drill. And if you have, I mean, that's you will have experienced that. But it's a different situation when you're being paid to do a job and your employer, who in this case is, you know, the military, the drill sergeant, whomever, is yelling at you. Those are the parameters of the job that you're doing. But we're playing airsoft as a hobby. Nobody really is signing up to get yelled at at a random airsoft skirmish on a weekend. And to be clear, there's a distinction also between your army sergeant yelling at you because what you're doing is wrong and will get you or other people killed in an actual real world environment and me yelling at Phil because what he's doing is going to get me shot a bunch in an airsoft game. Right? That's right. Yeah. So for those stereotypical uh, general slash drill sergeant players, take a bit of time to consider what exactly are you trying to achieve and leadership is not necessarily achieved, as Patrick was saying, through just yelling at people, right? In some cases, in fact, it's leading from the front. It's showing people what you want to do and do it yourself. And that's actually where I sort of evolved in terms of my play style. I realized that I was actually pretty effective fighting at the front of the pack instead of being at the rear, just barking orders, because eventually I would just get frustrated and I would say, okay, well, these guys aren't doing what I want them to do, so I'm just going to go do it myself. And what I found when I started doing that is that by me going out and doing it, people were like, oh, hey, he's doing that. I might as well go with him. So there's a way that you can sort of engage in that leadership and still come up with battle plans and strategize, but then also be part of the execution of those plans, right? Yeah, and I mean, a really big part of what we try to do, at least when we're playing with newer players, or when we're playing dispersed and not part of our team, is we go, okay, so like, we want our guys to be at the front, not because we're the best, but because, hey, that way everyone knows, yeah, we're trying really hard, and you can try hard too, and yes, haha, we're, you know, we're tryhards. The way we have fun, typically, is by pushing ourselves and trying to do really well in games and trying to excel, and it's way better to just show people what it is you'd like them to be doing by modeling the behavior than it is by standing behind them and going, why are you not moving forward? The the reaction that you sometimes get is, well, if that's so easy, why don't you do it yourself? Okay, well, maybe you should have, right? So I think as a general, I mean, if you're, if you're on the field and you're barking and shouting orders and you're not really getting the result that you want and you're maybe getting frustrated, it might be time to sort of reevaluate how you're approaching the leadership that you're trying to display on the field. You want to try to self-assess and to be a reflective player. Is what I'm doing effective? Is what I'm doing good for my fun, but also good for other people's fun? If you do that, you'll find better ways to, uh, to do stuff. We're going to talk in a later episode about, you know, the evolution of our respective kits for Airsoft. And everything we've done there was a matter of like at some point sitting down and going, does this work? So if you want to be a leader and you want to, you know, you've got that general sort of mindset, that sort of drill sergeant sort of mindset, just remember that players who are having fun are always going to be more effective for you as a leader than players who are frustrated or not doing what they want to be doing on the field. And so, yeah, like if you've got, as we mentioned last uh, last episode, your friend who loves being loud and shooting lots, man, can you ever make use of that guy um, to draw fire and to suppress? Um, if you've got a guy, as we're going to talk about um, later on in this episode, who's really sneaky and just, you know, wants to be off by himself being a ninja, make find ways to use that. Find ways to make that person an asset rather than annoying them by having them do something they're not as into. And that's a great segue into our second stereotypical type of player, the Rambo or the Juggernaut. This is the guy who hits the field 
he's yelling, not at other players, just yelling in general, <laughs> yelling into his radio. He's just shouting all the time. He's shooting full auto as much as possible. Maybe he's even got a chrome buffer tube on his gun. You never know. He's, he's the guy who you donate bags of BBs to because he goes through so much ammo. <laughs> yeah. This is the guy who maybe he has an LMG. He's shooting from the hip and, you know, he's the one who's liable to come out of cover and yell, suppressing fire and start like shooting like five, six, seven hundred BBs towards the enemy. And I mean, hey. He's a great player to have around. This player is also referred to as the BB Magnet, mostly because when you do that kind of stuff, you expose yourself to tremendous amounts of fire. And generally speaking, unless you're in a particular game type where, you know, maybe you are a juggernaut style player where we've played games where only headshots kill you or where you have extra armor. So you get hit and you go back and cover and you come right back out, stuff like that. Generally speaking, those types of players don't last quite as long as they would want to in their mind. I I gotta stress here, I have never been shot at so much as when I was carrying an LMG. Uh, It's probably the least effective gun I've ever carried in Airsoft in terms of like my ability to actually impact the game. But the weight of fire I attracted simply by popping up with a Mark 46 was absurd if a little bit uncomfortable for me personally. <laughs> yeah, and it's really interesting how you show up to an airsoft game, people see a machine gun or an LMG, and they go, oh my god, that guy's got an LMG. And in reality, our regular M4-style rifles are way, way superior to that. The rate of fire is comparable, maybe even the same. The range on our M4s is substantially better, not to mention the level of achievable accuracy from our M4s is tremendously higher. But yet they see that and they go, uh-oh, Right. Same guys. We have guys who play with an RPK and you're like, oh, my God, he's got an RPK. I'm like, well, and I mean, like I've been doing this since 2007 and I am absolutely still guilty of that. I played two weeks ago. There's a guy there was a guy with an RPK and I was like, oh, no, there's a guy with an RPK. Run. You know, in your mind, like if you're the kind of player who likes doing the Rambo thing, I think one of the things that we've both experienced is that it's really great for the movies, but it doesn't really work on the airsoft field just because you pop out of cover, you do the cool thing that you were going to do, but guess what? You get hit, right? And then you're off to the respawn. It's there in the name that we're calling it, right? Rambo doesn't get shot except cinematically because Stallone's the main guy, right? He's he's right in the movie. You know, there are a bunch of fun game modes that we'll probably talk about at some later point where, you know, you have the action hero guy getting to play the action hero guy for a bit, but we probably can see you and shoot you. That's right, yeah. <laughs> The next tier typical type of player that we see that rhymes with Rambo is the Geardo. The Geardo is... Hi, the... Phil. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. You know what? That's that's enough out of you. <laughs> um, no. So the Geardo is the guy who shows up to the Airsoft game. It's a day skirmish and they're rocking their MGGs. It's a day skirmish and they show up with seven guns. They've got three pistols on them. They've got a law rocket launcher. Hello, that's me. They're carrying all kinds of surplus kit. Uh, They've got tons and tons of gear. And while it's all really cool, it's just way too much. To use a personal example, right? Like I've carried a M203 uh, launcher on an M4 for Airsoft. I did it for like four or five years. I I still love it. It's super fun. But showing up to a quick like five minute team deathmatch with like nine grenades on a bandolier in addition to your mags and everything else is a little unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're not talking about situations where you're coming to an airsoft game and you've got your, you know, your AEG and then you've got your, your sidearm and then you've got a backup gun just in case your AEG goes down, that kind of stuff. That's not really what we're talking about. We're, we're really talking about people who are showing up with way too much kit. And we've seen this a lot, especially if your field is not right next to your parking lot. 
you've got to haul all of that kit up. So for us, you know, we're one of the fields we play at at Redcliffe, it's a hike up and it's always been a hike up and recently just got even more of a hike yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're hauling like 60, 70 pounds of extra stuff, even if it's in just a, you know, a good rucksack or something like that, it's still heavy. You get to the game, you're already bushed. Like that's not really helping you out. And I mean, you want to be able to carry all of your kit into wherever you're playing airsoft and then ideally not have to take 20 minutes to have a kip because you can't deal anymore and i mean like i like i said i've been this player i've been the player who's like well i just humped five guns enough ammo for a small army six grenades for my grenade launcher four tornado grenades uh, a giant knife a sword and like six days worth of food up a hill i'm just gonna take a nap for an hour now <laughs> And, you know, Airsoft is a fashion show. We've, you know, we've talked, uh, we haven't talked about it in the podcast yet, really, but we will in, in future episodes. Airsoft is a fashion show. You buy stuff. It's cool. You want to show it off. It's normal to want to do show and tell with your kit. But there's a level of sort of practicality that you need to think about, too, when you're hitting the field. No one is doing this not to feel like a badass, right? Let's be honest. Every single person who plays Airsoft is at least a little bit going, Definitely. you know, I want to be an action hero. But you also have to be a realist in terms of, like, figuring out what you should bring to any given game. And sure, you have... A bunch of different guns sure you want to bring like two of them but maybe don't bring seven simply because carrying seven guns up the hill is a pain it's one thing when you're talking about hauling all the gear to the game and in your pack and stuff but it's also what you're bringing to the actual match that you're playing i've been this player in my past and i think if you watch sort of our evolution of storm riders kit you'll see that our kit gets more minimalistic as we go because we're figuring out all the stuff that we actually need for a particular game when i started playing i had mags basically from the nine o'clock position on my kit all the way over to three o'clock position. I had double stack mags. I was carrying so much stuff. I know Chris in one of our other videos talks about like he carried like, you know, 50 feet of rope. You don't need all this stuff to play your typical airsoft game, right? So a couple of weeks ago we played and I was testing out a new gun that I bought. I have an M1 Grand for the uh, World War II kit that I am totally not doing. And I decided to carry it for a game, but also bring my primary rifle. And it got in the way. It was, it was a huge pain in the butt. It was still a fun game. It was still, you know, it was a useful gun, but I definitely didn't need to do that. And it was definitely silly. For sure. So last words on the gear though, absolutely have fun with it, but also consider, you know, is taking all this stuff really necessary? And is it going to be hampering you later on, maybe during the game, or just, you know, is going to make you more tired than you really need to be? Yeah, do you need your three-day pack full of stuff? Because I can promise you both Phil and I have taken, like, at least two-day packs to Airsoft games and been like, no, we should wear them during the whole game because that's more realistic. And then gone, oh God, it's been like an hour and we are totally, totally out of gas. <laughs> that's right. So next up, we have the Lone Wolf, the solo player. This is the guy who only works alone. Maybe they don't want to work with other people or more frequently in our experience, they're fine with being put on a team, but as soon as the game starts, they basically just disappear. They disappear into the bushes and they come back, you know, 20 minutes later and they're like, yeah, I've killed six people. What are you guys up to? <laughs> For sure. And there's a lot to be said about players who have a very high level of individual skill. Right. Uh, we, t we think about, you know, Shane and you think about Jason on our team. They're notorious for just, hey, where's Jason? Oh, you know, he's in the woods on the left doing his thing. You know, you're like, where'd they go? And they're like, oh, they pieced out that way. And you're like, eh, good enough. As a team member and as, you know, maybe you're, you know, your squad leader or maybe a commander during a milsim, that's valuable because you know they're going to complete whatever objective that they can. Or that's what you think. But in reality, that doesn't always play out that way. So by working alone, you know, you're, you're at risk of not knowing what necessarily is going on in either a strategic or a tactical sense for the rest of your team. And like, yes, you know, we've had players on our team who've gone off and done great work 
solo, but it, it took us a lot of work talking to them and discussing it to try to create situations where they could do that because they enjoyed it, but also situations where like they were with the rest of the team because they do have high personal skills and I want them covering me. <laughs> you know, especially if you're on a team, one of the reasons that you form a team, like Patrick said, is, you know, you want to leverage the skills of other players, but you can leverage them in multiple ways. One of them, of course, is they cover your butt during a game. But the other one is you learn from them. So if you have a player who is a lone wolf and who has very high individual skills, you definitely want to pair him or her with someone else so that they can transfer some of the, that knowledge and some of that skill. So then suddenly you don't have necessarily a lone wolf. You have two lone wolves who actually can work together and suddenly you have a useful team that you can employ in a more effective way to take objectives. And that's certainly something we've done in Milsim games with a couple of players who one of them was a really you know, a lone wolf kind of guy. And then our team picked up one of his really good friends and he was like, well, I want to hang out with him. So yeah, I'll totally take him with me. And they both just got better. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the team of the two of them was way more valuable than I guess the sum of its parts. Uh, I do really want to stress here for all the sort of lone wolf players out there, buy a radio so that at least you can tell me you're doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the other piece about being a lone wolf uh, and then learning how to work with a team is that it's a process. It takes time and effort to learn how to work with other people. So if you've only ever worked by yourself, it's going to be weird being paired up with someone and trying to be effective with them. I would know. I was that player. Think back to like 2009, 2010 when we started the team. I was very much accustomed to doing my own thing. And I would really try and say, yep, I'm going to go with this player and we're going to work together. And then five minutes later, I would be by myself again. I personally remember a bunch of instances when I was trying to learn to work in like two-man pairs and four-man fire teams and stuff where uh, some of our guys who've been in the forces uh, looking at me and going, man, you disappeared on me there. We would have been more effective if you hadn't. You need to reassess what you're doing in game. Yeah. And keep an eye on where the guy you're buddied up with is and stay with them. And that takes practice. I mean, all of the teamwork stuff that we do takes practice. You know, you're not going to start a team and be just rocking people's worlds right out the gate. You've got to work together. You've got to practice together. There's a reason hockey teams practice all the time. And I'm thinking back as well to that uh, old meme of the USMC gunfight rules, right? Which is the first rule of a gunfight is, a, is, you know, bring a gun. And the second rule is bring as many friends with guns as possible. <laughs> And that's very true for Airsoft. And that's a realization that I have in my own experience, you know, working with the team overall, which is that you need to bring people. You are always more effective when you have other people with you. More guns is always always better than fewer guns and two guns especially is always better than one gun because you could be doing the best flank flanking maneuver in the world and you're getting ready to like just smoke the enemy's spawn and if you just get hit out of nowhere all that is gone whereas if there's a second player with you your odds are doubled at the engagement ranges airsoft happens at and with the guns we're using you're gonna get shot a bunch so if you're off being sneaky in the woods and you've you've crept around and there are five guys there you're not gonna get five guys 90 percent of the time you know as much as again to reference the whole action star thing as much as we all want to be john wick we probably aren't so you've got the lone wolf who's really the really aggressive type of player then you've also got the complete reverse right which is what we would call the overcautious player this is the player who at the start of a game will probably hang hang around their spawn, probably move up 15 feet and not really want to get into the action out of a concern of getting hit. This isn't necessarily someone who's brand new to the sport or a renter. I mean, this happens to, it's, you know, it's happened to us where you don't really want to take any risks. You're sitting way too far back to be effective. You're not pushing, you're not maneuvering on the field because you're, you know, concerned about getting hit. And the ultimate result though, is that 
you're not useful to your team. And at the end of the day, you just end up getting hit by the enemy anyway. And you don't get a lot of the feel-good moments of Airsoft. You don't get that sweet kill on that guy who you just barely got the drop on. You don't get the adrenaline of getting shot at necessarily. And I want to stress, right? I was this player when I started, right? I remember really clearly my first game of Airsoft. There are two things I remember. The first one is I just sat basically where Phil put me because I'd never done this before. And I was not combat effective. And I remember that when push came to shove and I ran out of ammo, Phil hadn't told me what the mag release on a scarab looked like, so I actually didn't know how to reload my gun. <laughs> and this isn't just beginners either. Like, I think a lot of airsofters struggle with this, even as they gain more experience. I know myself in certain games, I'm behind cover and I'm thinking, geez, am I really effective here or do I need to go somewhere else, right? And I'm thinking, mm, I don't really want to do that because I might get, you know, I might get shot. And then I got Chris going at me saying, hey, Phil, you got to move there. And I go, yep, yeah, I'm gone. And when I'm not thinking about it, I'm making those moves, but sometimes I get stuck in this overcautious mindset. As I mentioned last episode, I'm silly. I've reached the point where being shot with airsoft BBs is like, oh, this is so trivial. that I, I will take risks that I probably shouldn't necessarily. And both are a mindset thing. Both are a mentality thing. And I mean, one of the benefits of our team is I have people who look at me and go, Pat, you're being dumb, get in cover. And Phil has people who look at him and go, hey, Phil, you're being a little too conservative. I need you over there right now because otherwise we're going to get tracked. So for the overcautious players out there, there's a lot of benefit to always thinking about where you are right now and saying to yourself, am I being as effective as I can be from where I am? And if I'm not, what do I need to do? And a lot of overcautious players are those they don't necessarily understand the, the effective range of their guns. And, you know, that's a topic for another day. But most people generally absolutely overestimate the range of their, their airsoft gun. And so they're sitting, you know, 250 feet away from the target they're shooting at and they're not hitting them. But guess what? They're not really being hit either. So it's time to move. Right? And, like, and we want to we want to stress, right? We're not talking about this in an effort to make you feel bad for feeling like that. No, totally. Right. We again, we both know we have days, we have games randomly during the middle of the day where we're like, man, I really would not like to go get shot right now. But yeah, it's a mentality thing and it's a mindset thing. And you need to be careful about it because you're always more effective moving up with a group of people, even if they're, you're not teammates, even if it's just, you know, the five guys who you've been picked randomly to go with for this field end to field end kill team game. Being with a group of people increases your likelihood both of winning and, hey, if you're concerned about getting shot, of someone else getting shot instead of you. So there's, Which there's is why Phil got me into the airsoft community in general, because I'm a big dude and he hides behind me. But we'll get, into, we'll get into that later. That's true. You know, Pat is six foot something. I'm five foot nothing. So I can hide behind him quite effectively. I, I, I am mobile cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I mean, like Pat said, if you're the no overcautious player, just take a bit of time and be deliberate about where are you right now? Are you being effective? Is there anyone I can move with? And then start, you know, making some small moves and sort of breaking sort of out of that habit. After a while, it become natural. But again, it's the kind of thing that we still struggle with, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. In a sort of similar vein, another type of player that we see that we're often is overly static is the sniper. This is the guy who has a, uh, a bolt-action rifle with a magnified optic and a full-blown ghillie suit. And they have watched a lot of Novridge videos and they think they're being combat effective at 300 feet. These are the guys who, these are the guys who think they're really effective at extremely long ranges. And realistically, they would probably be better served by being a little bit less static. In 2010, 2011, I, uh, I say I, but it's actually Pat and I built a ghillie suit for me to use with an upgraded sniper rifle that I had. And it was super not effective, mostly because I would just sit around 
and just wait for stuff to happen because ghillie suits aren't super mobile, especially in our uh, woodland here. It's, it's kind of hard to move we around. Have, we have, uh, in Newfoundland, we have very, very dense um, spruce and fir and pine and lots and lots of brush. So like moving around in the trees is very difficult in a light, slim fitting kit. Moving around them in a ghillie suit is basically impossible with any degree of speed. As a result, I mean, we see a lot of players who, you know, they have ghillie suits and they just sort of sit around and they sit, you know, very far away and let the action happen in front of them rather than being you know sort of a bit more up close and a bit more combat effective and what we have experience with that is going from the ghillie suit sniper that i found very not effective and comparing jason for example and mark on our team who were two guys who had you know what we would call designated marksman rifles right dmrs as is you know a popular term but they would be engaging targets really far away and they would be doing the sort of the sniper thing and the recon thing but they were doing that basically online with the rest of the riflemen for lack of a better term on our team one thing i really want to stress here because again i don't want people who are listening to this video to feel like we're calling them out and neither does phil no definitely so what we're trying to talk to in terms of the sniper is how can you be combat effective how can you be useful as much as possible in a game right and so when phil at one point dropped the ghillie suit but still brought the sniper rifle to games it was very effective because he had about 50 feet of extra reach on people and that's super useful and hey it's quieter than an aeg and frankly it's got some intimidation factor to it it's different and it's big and people look at it and go oh god that's scary if you're watching like kicking mustang or you're watching novrich on youtube and that's inspiring you to be a sniper and build a sniper loadout what I would ask you is to really consider how much of the time in those videos do you see them sitting around for extended periods of time, not moving, not trying to get an angle on somebody else, not trying to move around and maneuver with their teammates, not trying to get into a better position so that they can snipe. That's the key factor with, with airsoft snipers that we see a lot is you think that because you put a ghillie suit on and you've got that longer range rifle, you can just sort of sit back and you would definitely be better served by moving up and being a bit more mobile in your setup. So I also want to address, because I think this is really important, the fact that a sniper's role in a milsim event is to go out and use the fact that, yeah, you're wearing a ghillie suit and you've got this really long range rifle. You're really there to use the magnified optic and the rifle to get intel for whoever your commander is in your milsim game. And that's a really, really useful role. But if you're doing the like ghillie suit rifle drag bag thing at your uh, Saturday afternoon three hour skirmish, you might want to revise what you're doing because it's it's not going to be effective, right? You know, if, you're, if we're playing 20 minute games and it takes you 10 minutes to get all nice and concealed with your sniper rifle what are you going to do for your team what are you you know what are you going to do to have fun unless in fairness you really really love just getting entrenched in there and hiding in the trees uh the gun tech in me you know has to say this it's really expensive to build a good bolt action rifle and the guys you're watching on youtube they are not using inexpensive guns so sort of you need to be kind of conscious of that you will get a lot more mileage if you're a new player out of an m4 or a basic ak-47 than you will out of an unupgraded basic bolt action rifle and not to mention that one of the reasons that we discourage people from getting a sniper rifle as their first gun is the rate of fire is just not there, right? So if you do manage to get into a good position where you can shoot the enemies and stuff like that, that's great. But like if you fire a couple of shots and your position is made, which in most cases it will be because at airsoft distances, like you're what, 50 meters away from them, they're probably going to spot you. Like it's pretty close. Then suddenly they're opening up at you with their AEGs on full auto. You know, it's very, very hard for you to be effective. And if you look at what happens in a lot of bigger YouTubers uh, who are snipers, what they do when they shoot most of the time, you know, once they start getting shot at, they get the hell out of there. And it's hard to do that with a full ghillie. I mean, likewise, right? 
it's absolutely a bias on our part, right? Phil and I have both run sniper rifles, bolt action, magnified optic, uh, and neither of us would advise that style of play to a new player. Uh, I admit personally, I would almost always rather have a guy with an AEG, but I do want to stress, you know, if you get a bolt action and you can figure out how to be effective with it and you love it, great. I mean, honestly, if you love it, even if you're not super effective with it, stick with it. Absolutely. You know, do what you have fun doing. We've had a couple of players turn up with bolt action rifles. And in at least one case, we tossed an AEG at them and they didn't get more effective. Doesn't seem to matter. This is their playstyle. Cool. Yeah, for sure. So that's the sniper. You know, that's that's a typical stereotypical player that you see a hit in the field. Another one that I want to talk about quickly is the athlete, right? Or the pro athlete, let's call it. I'm sure you guys have seen this. This is the guy doing parkour on the airsoft field, doing baseball slides from cover to cover, jumping, sliding, climbing structures in places that they shouldn't be climbing. So like there's no ladder there. They're just using the wall. Guys who are overly... Aggressively fit. Yeah. <laughs> guys who are aggressively fit. God help us. We're not trying to fault you for being super fit. We don't have a whole lot of commentary on it, but this is something we see often. It's those guys who are just doing that kind of stuff. And in some cases, we see people who are, uh, like Pat was saying, like over aggressive it looks great and it's, it's i'm sure it's a lot of fun but it's not necessarily behavior that i would want to replicate in a lot of cases because as they say on generation kill just runs in a straight line you'll live longer i think there's a lot to be said for that also as it turns out the guys who run airsoft fields especially like curated ones they get kind of upset with you the first time you oh yeah through the actual wall of a building <laughs> yeah um, and like i mean sure we can do that they're made out of six millimeter thick plywood probably don't yeah for sure <laughs> the other thing i would say just as a note there is you you know, like especially on curated fields and, and stuff like that, you don't want to be climbing stuff that is not meant to be climbed. There's videos of players falling from like two story structures and all this kind of stuff. There's really no reason to put yourself at that kind of a risk. It's worth considering that, especially even on other kinds of field, like I think about Redcliffe in particular, there's a lot of rebar around, there's a lot of detritus just in general. Probably not a good idea to go slipping and sliding around those fields. If you're going to power slide into cover, make sure it's cover you've at least been in before. Definitely. Uh, you know, I've definitely like found a hole I didn't know was there and been up to my shoulders and been like, well, um, little help. The last year type we're going to cover rather quickly is the uh, always ready for melee guy. This hey, is the guy. Hey. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm talking about you, Pat. Uh, this is the guy who shows up to an airsoft game and he is ready for close combat. And by close combat, I mean with a sword or knife or both. Uh, sometimes it's a bat, like whatever it is. <laughs> These guys show up ready generally with some sort of like dummy knife ideally not with a real knife because of course that's that's no that's bueno your rubber training knife funny pulling an actual knife on someone that airsoft don't do it yeah and we're not talking about like a utility knife like that's fine like but you know the i know pat's got a like a giant kukri which is this sort of indian curved knife although it's more of a sword really it's in between <laughs> yeah i mean you know what it's cool but like you don't need to be showing up to an airsoft game with that or like a machete or something totally and i mean like i i do bring the kukri to games at redcliffe because if we feel like starting a fire because it's november and we're on a cliff in newfoundland and it's you know, minus two degrees. It's yeah. rad to have a tool to do that with, but like, I'm not taking that out and waving at people at a game because that's not safe. And you know, I'm not there to kill people. Like they're my friends. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I mean, just from a, you know, from the actual airsoft perspective, what we really see a lot of is guys like with training knives and stuff that are strapped to their kit. You know, Stefan on our team for the longest time, he used to have like a rubber training knife tucked into his shoulder pad. And he was like, oh yeah, I like to use that for close quarters and stuff. 
okay, cool, but you could shoot him with your pistol and that works just as good. I legitimately have brought a rubber training sword to Airsoft games. I'm inordinately proud of having killed a couple of people with it in like CQB games, but it's silly. And I don't bring that to a Milsim game. I don't bring that to anything where my teammates are relying on me to take things seriously and help them win aggressively. Because realistically, bringing a knife or a sword to a gunfight is exactly as good an idea as it sounds. Yeah, that's right. So that's it, guys. These are some of the stereotypes. I mean, there's tons of different stereotypes that we, we didn't cover. I'm sure you guys have seen at your fields. And hey, like, if you have some you want us to talk about, you like our opinion on, please send us a list. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, we're going to start a short run on Airsoft upgrades. Pat is our team's gun tech. We'll be going through some of the upgrades that we put in our Airsoft guns, sort of why we think they're important. If you have the chance, make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. Subscribe if you enjoy the content to stay up to date. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, look forward to you next time.